On today's show, we're going to talk about step four on becoming an exceptional technician. And step four is accountability. Welcome to Cracking the Code, the show that helps you overcome the challenges you face every day in contracting and keeps you on the cutting edge of emerging trends and best practices. Welcome to the audio version of Cracking the Code. Now, this was originally a video show, so if you hear us talking about something related to an image or any other visual element, you can see what we're talking about by going over to egia.org show and see what we're doing there in Cracking the Code. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. Let's talk about accountability and how important it is both for the company and the technician. You know, accountability, we always say what gets measured gets done. But that's not just in the best interest of the company. It's in the best interest of the technician as well. Because it's accountability that makes sure we do the things we need to do to get the things we want. We all benefit from accountability, right? I mean, when you go to school, you get a, you get a grade, right? You get a pass or a fail or whatever. Uh, in business, you get a paycheck every other week or every week, and that's your accountability. Is the check what you expect, right? When you look at your paycheck, is it what you want, right? If it's what you want, it's a passing grade. If you look at your check and say, dang, this is all there is, that's a failing grade, right? So that accountability keeps us on track, both as the company and both as the individual. In terms of accountability from the business perspective, it's the way to drive consistent and permanent results. Uh, I've been working with a client in California recently, and one of their objectives was to increase the number of tech turnover leads, right? This is something we all want to do because we know that our tech turnover leads are, you know, the best leads that we can have. These are uh, homeowners who have relationships with us. They already know our company, and, you know, when it's time to replace that system or time to add some duct work or maybe some attic insulation or other accessory, you know, we want to be the company that gets that work. So we always have technicians looking at the house. We want to make sure that we have the whole house, you know, kind of perspective in mind and looking for these opportunities and then turn those opportunities over to the sales department. Well, in this particular company, they wanted to dramatically increase the number of tech turnover leads. In fact, they wanted to double it. And they were already doing a pretty good job, but they wanted to double it. So the first thing they did was as a group, as a company and within the service department, they set a goal, right? That's the first thing you do. I mean, accountability is about measuring what we're doing against some benchmark, against some goal. So you can't have accountability if you don't have a goal. If you just say, hey, we're going to set more leads, you know, more than what, right? You don't have anything to compare it to. So the first step in that accountability portion is to set a goal, and then you have to hold people accountable to the goal. So they set the number of leads they want. They kind of divide that up and, you know, get a pretty good idea of what they need from each individual technician based on the number of technicians they have, and they can establish basically what they need on a weekly basis. And then, you know, from each technician, how many leads on a weekly basis. So then all they do is they have that meeting. Everybody kind of agrees, okay, this is the goal. This is what we're working for. And then they, you know, basically put those numbers up on the wall and share those numbers. Now, if somebody doesn't hit the numbers, they don't necessarily punish them. But if they do hit the numbers, they incentivize them with some type of bonus, right? So if they get the, the goal, if they hit the goal for that week or that month, then they're incentivized. They don't try to beat people down and humiliate them if they don't hit the goal. But what they do is that they share the numbers with all their technicians publicly. So a person knows if they're hitting the goal or not. And there becomes, you know, kind of a lot of, you know, peer pressure. When, when there's 20 guys in the room and 15 of those guys are hitting the number and five aren't, well, then those five feel the pressure just because people are discussing it. Again, this is not about, you know, publicly shaming somebody or making them feel bad. But we have to let them know this is the expectation, and then that peer pressure, you know, does put pressure on them. The other part of that, of course, is in terms of accountability as a manager, as the owner of the company, if I have a benchmark that I'm comparing to, I have five people who are not, you know, hitting that benchmark, that tells me I've got some training to do. 
Maybe they need better tools. Maybe they need better marketing material, better sales training, whatever it is. But the bottom line, if I don't have a goal to hold them accountable to, I'm just like, hey, go set some leads. I don't really have anything to measure to, and everybody's just setting leads. I don't know if I have underperformers or not because I have nothing to compare them to. So when it comes to accountability, the real key is to make sure that you set a goal and then measure the performance against that goal on a daily, weekly, and monthly uh, uh, schedule, right? You got to look at it on a daily basis, weekly basis, and a monthly basis. Then when you find people who are not performing, you can do that coaching, you can do that training, whatever you have to do, you know, to get them to that minimum standard. So when it comes to accountability, the only way to drive results is through measurement. Measurement is a reflection of having a goal and comparing, through accountability, comparing our performance to that goal. Nothing happens until something gets sold, and I'm going to tell you something, nothing happens until it gets measured, right? Uh, what gets measured gets done in life and business. It's true in your business, it's true in your department, and it's true individually. If I'm a technician, listen, the accountability that I said is good for me too, because I know what I'm striving for. If I go to work each week and I'm like, yeah, maybe I set some turnover leads today, or maybe I, I, I set this revenue goal in my truck or this amount of revenue, but there's no real benchmark, you know, I, I don't feel driven to accomplish anything. I'm just kind of out there going through the motions. But if I know my company has a benchmark for revenue and a benchmark for turnover leads out of that van each, each week or each month, then I'm striving for something. And we all know when we have a target, you know, we work hard to get there, right? That's why, you know, in football, for example, there's an end zone. What if a football field was just like, you know, sometimes it's 50 yards and in some cities it's 150 yards and people are just trying to move the ball. There's no way to keep score. You score when you get in the end zone, right? You can get 99 and a half yards, and if you don't get in the end zone, what happens? Nothing. You punt the ball, you kick a field goal, whatever, but you don't score. So in business, we have to have an end zone. We have to have a unit of measurement. We have to say, okay, this is the target, and if we're not getting there, here's what we got to do to get people, you know, trained up so they can get there, and then we know if we get there because we score. We get a point, right? That's the way it is in sports. That's the way it is in life. That's the way it is in business. So when it comes to accountability, it's important for the company to have goals we can achieve, that's what drives performance, and it's important for the individual so they have something hard and something to focus on and something to work for. Now, in this discussion on goal setting, I want to share with you a video that really illustrates the power of setting a goal. This is from none other than the fantastic, the wonderful, the great Arnold Schwarzenegger. I went to college. I went and worked out five hours a day. And I was working on construction. Because in those days in bodybuilding, there was no money. We didn't, I didn't have the money for food supplements or anything. So I had to go to work. So I worked on construction. I went to college. I worked out in the gym and at night from 8 o'clock at night to 12 midnight. I went to acting class four times a week. So I did all of that. There was not one single minute that I wasted. And this is why I'm standing here today. With the age of 20, I went to London and I won the Mr. Universe contest as the youngest Mr. Universe ever. And it was because I had a goal. You see, if you don't have a vision of where you go, and if you don't have a goal where you go, you drift around and you never end up anywhere. 74% hate their job in America. The majority of people don't like what they're doing because they're really not doing it because they didn't have a goal and they followed this goal. 
they just aimlessly drift around and then all of a sudden there's a job opening so they get the job because you have to work but then when you work it's a chore it's work it's not fun so if you think about only a quarter of the people really enjoy what they're doing in life so people always ask me when they saw me in the gym in the pumping iron days they said why is it that you're working out so hard five hours a day six hours a day and you have always a smile on your face the others are working out just as hard as you do and they look sour in the face why is that and they told people all the time I said because to me I'm shooting for gold in front of me is the Mr. Universe title so every rep that I do gets me closer to accomplishing that goal to make this goal this vision turn into reality every single set that I do every repetition every weight that I lift will get me a step closer to turn this goal into reality so I couldn't wait to do another 500 pound squat I couldn't wait to do another 500 pound bench press I couldn't wait to do another 2,000 reps of sit-ups I couldn't wait for the next exercise so let me tell you something visualizing your goal and going after it makes it fun you got to have a purpose no matter what you do in life you got to have a purpose another important step in the whole accountability conversation is performance reviews you've got to sit down with your people on a routine basis and you've got to make sure that you measure where they are and you have to make sure they know where they are that's what the performance review is all about you know if you ever get into a situation where you have to terminate somebody it should never come as a surprise to them, right? There should have been a series of performance reviews that brought into question their performance, right? There may be two or three periods of time, months or quarters, whatever, that they're not performing. So they know that, you know, they're not hitting the numbers they should. So performance reviews are critical, number one, to let people know where they're at and also give them specific things to work on in order to hit the goals that you set for them or perhaps they set for themselves. Take a quick look here at this video from Gary Ellix on doing performance reviews and how important they are to the whole process of accountability. The fourth component of this is feedback. Now I'm ready to prepare. I sat down. I know I've got a review structure that matches my job role descriptions. Now I can sit down and I can talk to my employee. And what I'm looking for, for from you is constructive feedback. And it has to be accurate. Accuracy comes from the actual definition of what you expected inside of the review. Meaning, I expect you to hit these performance metrics. So let's say that 50% of service calls that are new customers get converted to service agreements. And let's assume for a moment that that's an arbitrary number that is your standard for your company. If the employee is hitting 35%, I'm going to review that and I'm going to start asking questions in the review process. You know, why do you feel that you're at 35%? The standard is 50. So we're going to have conversations about constructive development based on accurate pieces of information that were known in advance because we had a role description and expectation form prepared because we all downloaded those documents and made sure we put them in place in our business. So that being said, the review process supports the idea that we want the employee to know this is the standard and we need to help them get to that place. So what we have is we have goals, we have metrics, and we have measurement processes that are going to be embedded in the review. So yes, they're here in the role description, but they're also matching in the review process. So there's a consistency there. 
I gave you a document ahead of time that said, here's what I expect from this position. Comfort advisors, I expect this much closure rate. I expect this, this set of dollars on the average tickets. I expect this mix percentage, you know, so much 21, so much 18, uh, so much 16, so much 14. There's a spread there for each business that is unique. You pick those particular goals. Whatever those are, um, I'm going to pay you a particular way. So as we begin discussing how your performance occurred based on the structure of those goals, we can have that accurate conversation and we can make that very constructive. So I'll, I'll give you an example of a failure, which I think we learn more from our failures than we do from our successes. Success is great and everybody loves success because that means we're, we're printing money and our cash flow is good. Uh, but I think success breeds complacency and as you become successful, the more you are successful, the less you tend to look at your process as if it maybe needed enhancement. I think it's easy to overlook that. Um, so when we have a failure, we, we have to look at what we really did. We have to really break down the process. So uh, we had a comfort advisor, and the comfort advisor was not reviewed on a quarterly basis precisely how the company's standard was set up. And so we went through the first three months, then we went through the first six months, and so after six months, the sales management function, you know, had realized that through the lack of review process and just the lack of watching what the metrics were doing, that the closure rate was down around 33% and the average ticket, which we like to be, you know, somewhere around $8,000 based on our book and our pricing, all of a sudden that ticket was down around 6000 to 6300 And so those two measurements are just... Uh, they're almost catastrophic, really. And so from that point of view, the discussion was, well, how did we get to this place? How did we allow six months to go by with all the leads and all the opportunities and not have you know, a daily, weekly, monthly, and then the review process being done four times a year. Four times a year is a good process because what that does is it forces you to review four times a year what's really happening so you don't make the mistake that we made. So we're six months in and we sit down with the employee and it turns out, you know, they're having, you know, family problems, issues inside of their personal world. And that's affecting, you know, how they're actually able to perform at work. I mean, a lot of head trash, basically. Uh, doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It just means if things aren't right at home, that can definitely affect people's performance, you know, at work. And that's what was going on. So dealing with those issues, were, we were just late. So we lost productivity, we lost revenue, we lost how many jobs? At 33% closure rate, you know, you're paying for those leads. Those are existing customers. You know, we should have been doing much better, at least 60% closure rate with respect to the pricing and how we would approach that individual position. So I would say to you that the goals, the metrics, the measurements, the accuracy, and the timing of this are, are critical to making sure that your company is performing at a reasonable level. And if it's not, it allows you to get in there and dig in and figure out what's going on and hopefully you can correct the problem. So then the sixth part of that discussion is, I want to be not only objective as it relates to goals, metrics, and measures, but you're going to see on the review process, there's some subjective commentary available as well. Meaning that core values, behavior patterns, teamwork, leadership, um, how you're interrelating with your team members, are you able to be productive and get along? Or you know, are you an employee terrorist? Um, you know, we've had a few of those people that we've hired on board before. And 
You know, we, we actually just got rid of an employee terrorist, literally this, this week before we're shooting this video. And so the employee terrorist was, it was based on subjective information, meaning that the performance criteria of that employee was actually very good. But what was happening was it was just a very negative person and they were saying negative things about everything and they were just really having a problem with fitting into the culture and really understanding that teamwork and not throwing your teammates under the bus and not you know, making excuses and not creating blame for things where you're responsible for it. You know, if I'm not doing a good job shooting the video, somebody needs to tell me that. And so you correct that behavior. You can't allow people to go off on their own or off the reservation and create issues relative to uh, employee considerations, and that's what was happening. So we had to make that adjustment. You can't keep employee terrorists in your organization. So we essentially said that to him in a review process. The behavior pattern did not change through the role description where behaviors and core values are called out. So we made the decision to terminate the employee's relationship with our company based on the idea that he just simply wasn't a good fit from a human side of things. So the subjective nature of that is, was crystal clear. It's not only legal, but it was uh, methodically correct because we had that as part of our role description. You have to behave in a particular way. If you do not, um, you, you're welcome to work somewhere else. You're just not welcome to work in this organization because we value not only the objective performance measurements, but the subjective performance measurements. Yes, accountability indeed is very important and critical to becoming an exceptional service technician. Over the last several weeks, we've talked about four components, the mindset, the process, the training, and accountability. If you've missed any of these episodes, go back and watch them because all four components are critical to becoming an exceptional service technician. Now, as most of you know, every other week, Gary, Drew, and myself, we do this Ask the Experts call. And we encourage everyone to participate because really it's a chance every other week for you to pick up the phone and talk to me and talk to Gary and talk to Drew and ask any questions that you have about your business and we're right there pretty much on your staff for that hour to an hour and a half to answer your questions. Imagine having Gary Ellix and Drew Cameron, even myself maybe, answering questions for you every other week, right? That's what the Ask the Experts call is all about. A couple of weeks ago we had a great question come in about buying other companies. What is it time to buy another company? How do you go about identifying targets? How do you go about you know, compensating uh, the former owner if you're gonna buy a company? I want you to take a look at this clip from the Ask the Experts call that talks about the challenges and the opportunities in buying another business. Well, first step is probably to get online and visit the website and actually study the acquisitions uh, model under the financial files. Um, it's uh, section four, and uh, that would be a really good thing to do because it sort of details through video and also the process. Uh, there's about a 13 page article on how to do that. Uh, the short version of that in, in this uh, webinar would be, um, I think what you want to do is you want to understand how to value or monetize a customer. Um, the, there's lots of different ways to value a business. Um, you're not really buying assets. You're, you're buying a limited group of assets. You're buying the web URL, the phone number, and the customer list. Uh, if they have data around the customer list, you'd be grabbing that as well. So we're not looking at inventory or trucks or any kind of sophisticated assets in that regard, buildings and things like that. Um, you want you want what we call a tuck-in. 
Uh, now there is a satellite acquisition, which is something that you might want a physical, uh, if, you know, if you were in Orlando and you wanted to go to Naples, Florida, um, you may want to buy a physical facility down there. That's a different kind of an acquisition. So from a tuck-in point of view, what you want to do is create your blueprint for what that your business model, your marketing funnel will produce. And that really is just uh, looking at the number of customers, figuring out how many you think you're going to keep. Uh, we typically start around 50% because the prices are usually a little bit higher in your company for the acquisition. Uh, so a lot of those customers won't stick around. And then if you're buying ABC Heating Cooling and John ABC is the guy and he leaves, the customer might not be attached uh, to the business. They might be attached to John ABC. So you're going to lose some customers. We then value that based on the gross profit dollars. And so you got to go through your marketing model and the budget tool and the financial tools that are there and monetize the customer base based on what you'll get back from the customer list that you keep uh, based on the gross profit dollars. Um, you've already cut it in half, so you're in, you're in good shape because you're spending money that's overhead in your company, so your gross profit dollars will cover you up. If you just paid that, you'd be paying yourself back in one year. Uh, we typically will offer half of that uh, in some form or fashion, a percentage of the ticket, a little bit of cash and a percentage of the ticket, some hybrid model. And ultimately what we want is we want a payback of six months or less. Um, most of the customers that you're looking at are, uh, you know, uh, prospective uh, businesses that are selling are going to think their value of their company is going to be worth a lot more than it is. Uh, remain patient and understand that uh, you're the acquirer. You don't have to have this business. Um, so from the negotiation point of view, you can wait as long as you want to. Uh, most of those people will probably go out and fish for their business to see if it's worth uh, more elsewhere and find out that it's not. Uh, most companies don't know how to value a database or monetize a customer base. So they'll usually come back to you. And at that point, hopefully you've built a good enough relationship. Let them know you're going to take care of their client base. Let them know that they're uh, their customer base is going to be well cared for and typically you'll be able to make those types of deals and uh, we've done one year deals and two year deals as a percentage of the ticket. We set up a department just like we do a regular service department or maintenance department or uh, you know, residential change out department in in your financial system and we track all those dollars through that and we share those reports on a weekly and a monthly basis as we make those transactions. We allow those people to audit those reports and uh, we in fact ask them to come in once a month and pick up their check and uh, make sure that they conduct the audit of basically what looks like a compensation system. Um, and what it does is it just proves transparency uh, at the beginning. And, uh, you know, so the rest of the stuff is pretty much on the site. Um, you could spend a couple hours and I think probably learn everything you need. So, uh, Drew, uh, we still have some time, so I'm going to let you comment on that if you want to check in on that. I know you've bought lots and lots of companies when you were involved in your uh, family business and with service experts. Uh, no, I think yeah, I think it uh, hit on all of it. Um, I'm not sure much. There's much that I can add. Um, I probably have not been as uh, verbose in this as as you probably actually have, because uh, I know you've bought them all over the country too. Um, I, I guess the only thing I you know that I would add there is if you know what steps you know could you take, and I think Toby you know she, she had the the site up uh, in there. There is there are, you know there are letters of acquisition, letters of intent, and whatnot. Uh, you, know, the, you can handle this as a marketing uh, experiment if you like. You can hire uh, business brokers that will do this for you anonymously if you want as well so that 
some 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 contractors you may have some targets out there that and if they see you're the the contractor that's looking for them for whatever reason they may not want to to try and sell to you so sometimes handling your business through an independent third party that who can kind of you know, keep you somewhat anonymous at least for a period of time uh, that can be helpful I've seen contractors be successful with that and these business brokers if you will can send out some marketing materials on your behalf again not necessarily tied to you they're just representing the interest of a of an interested party if you will uh, up until the point where it you know it needs to be disclosed but at that point I mean at the, if you think about it at the very beginning th this is no different than, than selling your own services you need to kind of create the funnel with the marketing to get the interest into the top of the hopper, if you will. And then the funnel process kind of narrows it down over time to make sure that there's a right fit. And so, like I said, third party would be the only other thing that I would add to that because I think he did a great job answering the question. Uh, I also know Weldon's done this, so I'll, I'll toss it to him. He's bought a few companies in his life. Yeah, uh, thanks, Drew. Thanks, Gary. I just have a couple of short pieces of advice. Uh, if you're gonna, and I purchased uh, several companies in, in 2007. And I would say the one word remember is verify, verify, verify. And anything the prospective owner says, assume it's a lie, right? Or at least a misunderstanding, right? Because you can look at receivables and payables and it's not black and white. You know, you can say, yeah, they're pretty, pretty reliable, you know, receivables. And, and maybe they're not. I'm just saying that if you're ever going to pick up another company and if you do any kind of asset purchase, Gary would wisely tell you not to do that. Uh, I unfortunately didn't know Gary then, and I did it, and uh, assumed some of the liabilities, a lot of the liabilities of a couple of companies, and their books were cooked, uh, for lack of a better term. In fact, I had one where I had to go back and sue the previous owner, and I got a judgment for about $400,000 because he had overstated receivables and understated payables by hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? And looking back, I think a lot of it was just bad record keeping, bad, bad bookkeeping. I don't even think it was intentional. But, you know, so just verify everything. If, if you're taking over liabilities, check with the suppliers, ask them how much does this company owe you exactly. If they have receivables, call those people. If they're over 90 days, throw them away. You're never going to collect. If they're over 60 days, you're probably never going to collect. You know, call those receivables. Find out how valid they are. Find out what's owed. Just verify everything and assume everything that comes out of the owner's mouth, if not necessarily a lie, that's a pretty strong word, but it's probably misinformed. It's probably a mistake because they want to see things through the filter of rose-colored glasses. And I got stung really, really hard. And, and like most things, I learned more from my failures and mistakes than I did when things went right. So I would just add that to everything Gary and Drew said. Well, folks, that's our show this week. We hope you've enjoyed the last several weeks, actually. Uh, on the content of building an exceptional technician, becoming an exceptional technician. Accountability is what we talked about today, but it works in conjunction with the mindset, with the training, with the sales process, all those things together combined with accountability are all important to building an exceptional technician. Also, I hope you enjoyed our portion. In the event that you're thinking about growing your company, want to buy some other companies, now you have some insight from the experts, Gary Ellicks and Mr. Drew Cameron. We'll see you next week here on Cracking the Code. Until then, have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye for now.